Well, good morning, everybody. How you doing today? You all right? Happy to be in church. Come on, is anybody happy to be in church this morning? Hey, listen, I just woke up happy because we got some rain yesterday. I'm like, thank you, Jesus. He still is a miracle-working God, even in Southern California. <laughs> it's a good day. Hey, if you got your Bible this morning, this morning meet me in Judges chapter 6, the Old Testament book of Judges chapter 6. And I want to bring you a message, as you see on the screen today, and we're going to do this over the next couple of weeks, called Legacies Over Legends. Legacies Over Legends. And I feel like so much of what is in my message today ties in so perfectly to some of the things that Pastors Bernie and Nan were sharing today. So I'm excited to get to share this with you guys. In Judges 6, we see the story begin of one of the Old Testament heroes, a man named Gideon. And we're going to talk a little bit about his life, but not so much focus on Gideon, but what God wanted to do in and through Gideon's life in his nation, the nation of Israel, and his people, the Israelites. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. But let's just kind of start off this message today with talking about legacy and legend and what that looks like. Dictionary.com defines the word legacy as anything handed down from the past as from an ancestor or a predecessor, anything a predecessor, anything that's handed down from the past, from an ancestor or predecessor. If I was to put my own definition around the word legacy this morning, I would say that a legacy is anything given by one generation, then received by the next, with each generation testifying of a shared experience with what they have received. A legacy is when one generation gives something to the next generation. They receive it for themselves, have a similar experience to the previous generation, and then turn around and hand it off to the next generation so that each succeeding generation can testify of what they have been given, the experience that they've had with what they've been given. That's what a legacy is, and I believe that God wants us as the church of Jesus Christ to be legacy-minded. But of course, there's also this other word, and that's the word legend, and it's totally different from legacy, even though there are some similarities. That same resource, dictionary.com, defines legend as a non-historical or unverifiable story handed down by tradition from earlier times and popularly accepted as historical. I want to say this morning that it has always been the plan, the purpose, and the will of God that each generation of believers would build a legacy of the knowledge of God that is handed down to the next generation so that each successive generation has a shared experience with the goodness of God in their own lives. In saying that this morning, I want to really differentiate these words. God wants you and I as the church of Jesus Christ to leave a legacy of the goodness of God that the following generations experience rather than a legend that they look back and say, it just sounds like a historical tale, but I've never experienced it for myself. God wants us to be legacy-minded, not legend-minded. In fact, when you look to the Old Testament, you see Moses, before he passed away, his great sermon, which was the, the book of Deuteronomy, he says six times in the book of Deuteronomy, you shall teach this law of this book of the law of God to your children. When you wake up, when you lie down at night, when you gather around tables, when you're walking on the way, you shall share this book of the law, the ways of God, the word of God with your children so that they too can have an experience with God for themselves. And it was always, again, the plan of God that each generation would have their own personal encounter and experience with God rather than just settling for mom and dad's 
encounter with God or grandma and grandpa's encounter with God. No, they would have their own genuine experience and encounter with their heavenly father. And it's interesting because Moses said that all the way back in the book of Deuteronomy six times. And then 400 years later, when we get past the book of Judges, we actually see that King David, the psalmist, he said this in Psalm 145, verses 3 and 4. He said, great is the Lord and greatly or highly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts to each preceding generation. Not only was this God's plan for the Old Testament Israelites, but it is still God's plan for his church today. That we would declare the goodness of God to each successive generation so that they know the, that they have a relationship and know God for themselves. But when we open up the book of Judges and get to chapter 6, what we see is that a legacy has no longer been handed down. Now the things of God are simply the stuff of legends. Like an old tale that somebody told but nobody ever got to experience it. For themselves, And what we see in the beginning of Judges 6, just to give you some context of what we're going to read about today, at the beginning of Judges 6, we see that essentially the Israelites are captives in their own land. There's a people group called the Midianites, and the Midianites have come in and kind of possessed the land while Israel is there. They've made it their own home. They've oppressed them. They've held them down. And we see that the Israelites are now building caves and dens in the mountaintops, in the hillsides, places where they can gather in community. And those who might even still practice the law of the Lord would gather there, but they would have to do it in hiding as not to be found out or oppressed or tortured or stolen from by the Midianites. And this is the context that we find ourselves in in Judges 6. And not only that, but Scripture tells us that the Israelites will plant seeds, they'll water those seeds and grow crops, but they have to do it in hiding because the Midianites come in. And as soon as those, those crops start to sprout fruit, the Midianites come in, they take the fruit of those crops, essentially meaning that they are now reaping where the Israelites had, sowing and had sowed, and the Israelites have nothing to show for the work of their hand. This is the context of Judges chapter 6, and it all has happened because of Israel's generational rebellion and not keeping the law of the Lord. See, Israel made the mistake of treating the knowledge of God and the word of God as a matter of legend rather than a matter of legacy. Instead of giving, receiving, and experiencing the things of God generationally, they settled for stories of what God had done for their ancestors. And they stopped living to experience the things of God for themselves. So let's read here in Judges 6 what God does. And a little bit more context is given actually in Judges 6 starting in verse 7. It says, Now it came about when the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord because of Midian that the Lord sent a prophet. And this prophet isn't named, but he sends a prophet to the sons of Israel. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, It was I who brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery. He talked about what he had done back in the book of Exodus. I delivered you from the hands of the Egyptians and from the hands of all your oppressors and dispossessed them before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not obeyed me. And again, becoming legend-minded, they let go of God's legacy in and through the generations of Israel and now find themselves living in oppression. So because 
of Israel's rebellion toward God, the story could easily end here in judgment and the devastation of the nation of Israel. But just like in our own lives, God is always gracious, God is always merciful, and God always gives his people a second chance and a way of escape when we find ourselves in difficult situations. So look down at verse 11 in Judges 6. It says, Then the angel of the Lord, look at God, waiting, instead of people coming to God, God comes to them. Doesn't that sound familiar? God sends a messenger. Then the angel of the Lord, this messenger, came and sat under the oak that was in Ophrah. That's not Oprah, that's Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abiazrite, as his son Gideon. There's this introduction to this Old Testament hero, Gideon. Gideon was beating out wheat or threshing wheat in a wine press in order to save it from the Midianites. Now, many of you know the story of Gideon and how the angel of the Lord encounters Gideon, but let's just give some context to this if you don't know the story very well. The angel of the Lord comes, and we find that Gideon is threshing wheat, not on a threshing floor, but rather in a wine press. Now, this might not strike you as strange, but you have to understand the picture, okay? Wheat was threshed on high ground in elevated places. In fact, when you read through the Old Testament, one of the things you see is that oftentimes kings from different nations would meet on threshing floors because they were high places. See, wheat was threshed on threshing floors in high places because the wheat was taken after it had grown. It was separated from the stalk, and then they would take the wheat or the fruit of the wheat, they would toss it into the air where the wind could catch it, and the weightier wheat, the fruit of the stalk, would fall to the ground while the lighter, less valuable material called the chaff would blow away. You can't thresh wheat if you're not in a high place where the wind can help you in the threshing of the wheat. But what we see here is that Gideon's not threshing wheat on a high place threshing floor. Rather, Gideon is actually threshing wheat in a low place or a wine press. And a wine press was like a cistern or a hole that was dug out in the ground where the grapes were thrown down. They were stepped upon and crushed so that the juice of the grapes could come out to later on make wine. He's doing a high thing in a low place. He's doing a high thing not on a threshing floor but in a low place. And I believe when we stop and look at this picture, when the angel comes to Gideon, what we see here is a picture of fear and oppression. This is a picture of fear and oppression. And I imagine Gideon threshing that wheat in that low place of a wine press, and he's down there, not on a threshing floor, looking over his shoulder, wondering, are the Midianites near? Are they coming to get my crops? Are they coming for me? And if I don't, if I try to hide from them, are they going to hurt me? Are they going to steal from me? Are they going to hurt my family? What are they going to do? I imagine him looking over his shoulder, looking up over the edge of that hole that he was standing in, in that picture of fear and oppression, wondering if the enemy was lurking right around the corner. This morning I want to talk to you about how we build legacies rather than leave legends in our lives. And if you're taking notes, here's the very first thought I want to give you. Number one. When the knowledge of God is merely a legend, fear and oppression will plague our perspective. When the knowledge of God becomes merely a legend in and through our lives, fear and oppression will plague our perspective. Now I think as the people of God, it's really sad when our testimony in life is the fear we're experiencing and the oppression that we're under. I want to say at the outset of this point right here that God did not create any one of us to live under fear and oppression in our daily lives. God created us to live above those circumstances. Now, like we said, Gideon's threshing wheat, something you do in a high place, he's doing it in a low place. What this picture shows me 
is that when God is our legacy, we can live above our circumstances. But when God is merely legend, we will always live below our potential. Because if we don't know the things of God for ourselves, if we have not experienced or had an encounter with God for ourselves, it can merely become a legend that somebody told us about, but we didn't get to see it with our own eyes. You know, when we talk about fear and oppression, these are topics that we've talked a lot about and we've dealt with a lot over the last three years, especially the last three years in the church world. And I don't want to beat a dead horse and go back and talk about something that we've talked about and addressed a lot in the last three years, but let me just say a couple things about fear and oppression and everything that comes along with it. You know, as a pastor, it's my job to extend compassion first. And sometimes when we talk about topics like fear, anxiety, depression, oppression, sometimes we can say those words and go right past them and not really acknowledge the reality that those are things that people really deal with. And it would be wrong of me as a pastor to not give mercy to somebody in the room or everybody in the room who's dealing with those things in reality in your life because they're real challenges that real people deal with. God extended mercy to me, so I ought to extend it to you and you to me as well. But with that said, it is amazing to me. I've been in pastoral ministry now for over 11 years. I know that's not a super long time, but It's over a decade now, and I can tell you this, not just in society at large, but in the church world, we talk more about mental health, depression, anxiety, oppression. We talk about it more in the church world today than we did 11 years ago. And there are some people that you hear that, and again, I'm saying this as compassionately as I know how. There are some people that hear that and say, well, it's high time we started talking about that in the church, Zach, because it's a reality that people face. And I understand that. I get that. But I'll be really honest with you. I think one of the greatest reasons why we talk about it so much in the church these days is because there is a big, big segment of the church world that has just embraced it for themselves and said, I guess this is just a part of the life that God has for me. And I want to say this to every single person in the room and every person watching online today. God did not plan for you to live your life under oppression, fear, anxiety, or depression. He has something bigger and more for your life. And I look at Gideon standing there, and and the angel of the Lord doesn't show up to condemn Gideon. He literally shows up to tell him something that nobody ever told him. You don't have to live your life this way, Gideon. So please hear my heart. I don't say that to be judgmental of the things that you might really, truly be dealing with today. But I'm going to be very honest. That doesn't have to be your identity, so don't embrace it like it's your own. It doesn't have to be. When God planned and intended that we would live above our circumstances, not beneath his potential for our lives. You know, as a staff, we do a staff connect group. Um, We would love it for everybody who calls the Bridge Church their home to be a part of a connect group. So we do a connect group as a staff. And one of the things that we've been talking about recently is our staff values. And the other day, one of the values that we spoke about, this was two weeks ago, was we talked about what does it mean to be healthy, spirit, soul, and body? to be healthy leaders and healthy people, spirit, soul, and body. When we got to that soul part, you know, talking about our mind, our will, and our emotions and how they're connected to that spirit part of God bringing health into our lives. Man, Pastor Gary was sharing some stuff that was just so good in our time together as a staff connect group. And he was talking about, and I'm saying this because, you know, it refers to my history as well, but, man, we've seen so many examples throughout our lives where people will talk about the things they're dealing with, the challenges that they're dealing with, but their language starts to get really specific because it's not I'm dealing with oppression, I'm dealing with anxiety, I'm dealing with depression. It's my 
sickness. It's my anxiety. It's my depression. It's my arthritis. It's my cancer. It's my whatever that thing might be. There's a big, big difference between acknowledging the thing that you're dealing with and embracing it as your identity. And we as the people of God need to be reminded from time to time that God wants us to live above the circumstances around us. Some people might hear that and say, you know, that just sounds like that crazy faith talk, Zach. Well, I'll tell you what, that's Old Testament, and the angel of the Lord showed up to tell Gideon, I don't know if anybody's ever told you this before, but you don't have to live like this. And perhaps today, a few of us need to hear it again. If that's your reality on a daily basis, you don't have to live like this. God wants to set you free to live above your circumstances, not below his highest potential for your life. And, you know, with that said, is there still victory to be found in the cross of Jesus Christ? Is Romans 8 no longer true that we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us? Is Revelation 12 no longer true that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony? If we don't want to live our lives under the the scope of fear and oppression, then we have to recognize that through the cross of Jesus Christ, we are more than conquerors, and we overcome these obstacles by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Let's stop embracing identities of the enemy, and let's start embracing the identity that God wants us to live in. Amen? Now, we talked a little bit right there about language, and man, I want to spend some time on language here for just a moment. Look now at verse 13. We're going to skip verse 12 for a second because I love what's in verse 12. We're going to save that for the end of the message today. But look at verse, then, verse 13. Gideon responds. Then Gideon said to the angel, Oh my Lord. Now notice lowercase l, Oh my Lord, if the capital L, Lord, is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. If you're taking notes this morning, talking again about building legacies over legends. Here's second thought I want to give you. Number two, legacies or legends are revealed in our language. Legacies or legends are revealed in our language. You want to find out where someone's at with God or how they believe or who they believe God to be? It doesn't take long. Just listen to the words of their mouth. In verse 13 alone, Gideon says five amazing things about who he thinks God is. Gideon says, why has this happened to us? All these terrible things are happening to us. What's going on? Where is God? Where are his miracles? Man, that's a big one that we could spend a lot of time on. Our fathers told us about them, but we haven't seen them for ourselves. And because of those four things, what's his fifth conclusion? God has abandoned us. God has abandoned us. See, if we reach a place in our history where a generation begins to believe that God has abandoned them, it's not because God abandoned that generation. It's because at some point along the way, that generation abandoned God. When I think about the next generation, I don't want to see my kids grow up without understanding and experiencing for themselves the goodness of God in their own personal lives. So I have to stop and make a decision. What kind of language am I speaking to my kids? Am I speaking of God as if he's the thing of legend, or is he truly leaving a legacy in my life and through my life for my kids as they grow up? It's my choice. 
Something's been handed to me, but it's not just handed to me. God wants to hand that through me to the generation that's following me. See, Gideon concludes that God has abandoned us, but yet we see the promise of God's faithfulness given to Gideon in the Old Testament and even to us in the New Testament as well. Exodus 20. We don't have the verse here for the screen, but if you want to write this down, Exodus 20 says, God, excuse me, God is faithful or merciful, more specifically, to a thousand generations who love him and keep his commandments. If we can tell the next generation about the love of God, the laws of God, and the goodness of God, God will be faithful to them the same way that he's been faithful to us. That's the promise that preceded Gideon. But even in a New Testament context, man, Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 28, right before he ascends to heaven, he gives the promise of the Holy Spirit. He gives the great commission. And what's the last thing he says? Lo, I am with you, not just today, always, even to the end of the age. If we will take God up on his promises, he will be with us all the days of our lives and to our kids and our kids' kids forever and ever and ever. But the choice is ours. Are we going to leave legend behind or are we going to build a legacy in and through our lives? Come on, is everybody with me this morning? God is calling us to be legacy-minded, not legend-minded in the way that we speak of God and teach our kids in the next generation. Things of God were merely a legend to Gideon and the Israelites of his day. And that reality was revealed through his language. But if we as the people of God will use language that informs the next generation of a legacy of faith, they will not say that God has abandoned us. They will instead declare that God is with us. God is for us. God is present. God is active. He will never leave us. And we are victorious because of Christ Jesus who is with us. Legacy or legend are revealed in our language. So let's be people who speak God's word into and over the next generation. Amen? Amen. Now, rewind real quick with me to verse 12. Judges 6, verse 12. I told you we skipped that verse. So much good stuff in this passage of scripture, in this interaction that Gideon has with the angel of the Lord. Verse 12 says, Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. (laughs) Now go down to verse 14. The Lord looked at him and said, Notice the spelling starting to change a little bit in this conversation. We'll come back to that in a minute. Verse 14, The Lord, capital L, looked at him and said, Go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? And he said to him, O Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? Behold, my family is the least in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's house. But the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat Midian as one man. Third thought I want to give you this morning if you're taking notes. Building legacies, not leaving legends. Number three, legends breed insecurity, but legacies establish identity. Legends breed insecurity, but legacies establish identity. This is so great. I I wish I could have just been sitting there that day that the angel of the Lord came to Gideon because as soon as he gets there, he looks at Gideon and he proclaims that Gideon is a valiant warrior. I bet Gideon in this moment's like, dude, you got the wrong guy. Do you even see what I'm doing? Have you ever said that? I love that part, right? You see what I'm doing, God? See what's going on here, God? 
I bet Gideon looked at the angel and thought, don't you realize I'm threshing wheat in a wine press? This is a picture of fear and oppression. Don't you see what's going on? Don't you know what's going on? Yet he shows up and he tells Gideon, you're a valiant warrior. I think that one of the saddest testimonies that the next generation can have is to say that their parents and grandparents never told them who they were and who their identity was in Christ. Because when the angel of the Lord shows up, Gideon's like, what? Me? That's right, Gideon, you. I've come to tell you that which nobody before you has told you. That's who you are in Christ. Perhaps today we could say that our world looks the way it does and our nation is in the condition that it is in because somewhere along the line, generations were not informed of who they were and who they were called to be in Christ. So instead, we traded legacy for legend, for tall tales, things that God did for our ancestors, but we never experienced it for ourselves. And rather than living victoriously in Christ, we embraced oppression and fear as our permanent condition. You know, I think for a moment about this idea that we wouldn't know who we are in Christ and that identity. Again, I'm confronted with the reality that it's up to me to walk in God's identity for me, but then to turn around and share it with the next generation that my kids will know not just who I want them to be, but who God created them to be. Here's what's interesting about this. You know, we're a church that believes very strongly and preaches a strong message of faith. One of the key note, you know, passages about faith is found in Romans 10. Paul says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word or of the word of God. And you know, I've been in church my whole life, and every time I read that verse of scripture, I always go back to this thought, well, I'm going to continue to grow in my relationship with God and grow in my faith as long as I'm in the word of God. And that's true. But the entire context of that part of Romans 10 is Paul saying, people will not know unless they are told about the word of God. And he's talking about the unbeliever. Who's going to go? Who's going to tell them? And prior to that verse, Paul asks this amazing question. He says, how will they know unless they are told? It makes me stop and look at my family. It makes me stop and look at my kids. It makes me stop and look at our church and the next generation of our church and say, how will they know unless somebody tells them? God's calling us to be legacy-minded, not legend-minded. I want to take a minute and just talk to all the parents in the room for a minute. Pastor Gary talked in his What's Going On series a few weeks ago about what's going on with family, what's going on with marriage, what's going on with kids. He spent a lot of time on that, and I, I don't want to try to re-preach anything that he said, but there's a couple things in there that really sparked in my heart that I wanted to share with you this morning. And I want to just give parents in the room three thoughts real quick, because how will they know unless they're told? But more than that, God doesn't want us to just be messengers that tell them a story. He wants us to walk by our kids' sides until the time comes that they have their own experience with God the same way that we did, and the light goes on, and they recognize that this God of my parents is real. He's not just with mom and dad. He's with me. He loves me. He didn't just die for them. He died for me. He doesn't just care about them. He cares about me. I want to give you three quick thoughts on this because I think it's really important. Moms and dads, get into the word with your kids. 
Man, I have memories of the things that we talked about when we were kids. And I'm not just saying this to brag on my dad because he's a good guy and he was a good dad and he's a good pastor and all that. And just talk about the good things that he did. But I mean this so seriously. Like all that stuff got put away in my heart. And then one day when real life started to happen, it was like all that stuff made sense. Because even when I didn't fully understand it, it was like a seed that was being planted and planted and planted and watered and watered and watered. And then one day when life got real, it all made sense and it all became truth in my life. You might not see the fruit of it today, but our job is not to see all the fruit when our kids are this big. It's to simply plant and water the seeds. Get into God's word with your kids, parents. It's not that difficult to do. There's a million resources to help. You just got to take the time and be willing to do it. Make it a priority. Make it important so that your kids can have an experience with God for themselves. What about this? What about praying with your kids? Like, no joke, not just, uh, thank you, God, for dinner tonight. Um, That's good. We should be thankful for everything that our God gives us. But like literally taking the time to let your kids hear you talk to God. And this is what's funny about it. Your kids already know the condition of your marriage by the way that mom and dad talk to each other. So shouldn't they also see the condition of your relationship with God by hearing you talk to him? You say, oh, well, Zach, my my marriage isn't perfect. That's okay, none of ours are. But we can go to God with anything. And even on your hardest days, when your kids hear you humble yourselves before the Lord and say, God, here's what's going on. Here's where we're at. Here's what we need. It's a beautiful thing in the midst of your weakness in the days where you feel like you're not enough to sit down in front of your kids and say, I know I'm not enough, but I know God's got plenty in store for us. Let your kids see your relationship with God by hearing you pray. Teach them how to pray, not just by magic words, but by learning to use the same ones that you do when you talk to God. And the time will come where they'll figure it out for themselves and they'll have their own relationship and their own conversations with God. Don't be afraid to pray with your kids. But here's the last thing. What about this? What about being in the presence of God with your kids? Literally, being together in the house of God, worshiping together in the house of God, worshiping together at home and inviting the presence of God into your home and into your family. It's interesting because we talk about like learning Bible stories when I was a kid. I have so many memories of learning Bible stories and those stories being planted into my heart when I was a kid. But I'll be very honest with you. When I knew that God was real was later on in life when I started to encounter his presence in church with my family and with my friends. And it's great that your kids know the word of God and get it down here. God will use that. My man, things go to a whole new level when your kids are in church and in their homes and they are having an encounter with the presence of God. And in those moments, they know that God is real. God is here. God is with us. God is in my home. God's not just in my church. He's in my home. When we, my, we pray, he's here in the living room. He's here in my bedroom. He's here with my family. The presence of God changes everything in our lives. And we have the opportunity to invite him in every single day of our lives. So don't be afraid to invite him. Now, here's where I want to conclude this morning. One of the most amazing parts of Judges chapter 6, I've never fully understood this, the language changes. Because at first, Scripture says that the angel of the Lord comes to Gideon and starts to tell him about what the capital L, Lord, wants to do in and through his life. But then when we look later on at verse 14, it says the capital L Lord looked at Gideon and said, go in this strength, your strength, and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. In other words, he's no longer talking 
to the angel of the Lord. He's talking to the Lord himself. The theological term here is that Gideon has a theophany. Old Testament has a face-to-face encounter with God. To be more theologically precise, most Bible scholars believe that in this moment, Gideon is having a conversation with Jesus. I've read that story so many times and I've never understood why that happens. I never got it. And as I read through this again, starting to put a message together to talk about legacy and legend, suddenly there's not just a messenger who's there talking to Gideon. When his heart opens to this conversation, the angel goes away and suddenly Jesus, most likely, is standing there himself talking to Gideon. I was sitting in my office on Thursday and my wife was here and I just got like overwhelmed emotionally. And you guys know me, I do this. I got like overwhelmed because it was like suddenly out of the blue, I understand why Jesus came to Gideon and this theophany took place. It's because the angel came to tell Gideon everything he had never heard before. And as he started to engage in that conversation, suddenly he had his own encounter with Jesus. See, it's one thing to be told who you are in Christ. It's another thing to start to respond to the things of God, but it's another thing when Jesus shows up in your life and you have a personal encounter with him. Generations previous to Gideon had failed him because they stopped telling and helping each generation experience God in his presence in a personal encounter. But suddenly when he responds to this conversation, Jesus shows up. It took me back to when I was 23. I've told my testimony to you guys a few times. I know most of you have heard me say it. I'll never forget being asked to be a youth leader at a youth convention that I went to. My cousin was a youth pastor. I was in no shape to be a youth leader. And he said, come be a youth leader. (laughs) And I show up and I'm sitting in service at this youth convention with a bunch of teenagers one night. And the same guy that spoke at all the youth conventions I went to when I was growing up was speaking at this one. And before he got up to speak, he pulled out a saxophone and he played this song. And he got to the end of the song and it was Amazing Grace, a cappella. And nobody had preached a word. I stood there and I had an encounter with the presence of God. And it took me back to when I was 8 years old and 10 years old and 12 years old and 15 years old. And I realized that even though I'd run away from God, God hadn't run away from me. And I knew the word of God because it had been planted here. But everything changed when I had a new, fresh, personal encounter with the person of Jesus Christ. We can do our very best and teach our kids in the ways of God and bring them up in the word and teaching them how to pray and worship. And we should do all of those things. But if we will do it, we're entrusting that the time will come that they will have a personal encounter with God for themselves that will allow them to carry out everything he's destined for their lives. But it all starts with us, us choosing legacy and not just leaving it to legend. Let's tell our kids the truth about who God is. Let's teach the next generation about who they are in Christ. Let's speak language that tells them that God has more for you than the world has to offer. And you are bigger than your circumstances. You can rise above them. You can live above them. You don't have to live below your fullest potential. Amen. Would you bow your head with me this morning? God, I felt so challenged these last few days just to present that simple message, knowing that not everybody in the room is a parent or a grandparent. So many people in this room have already raised their kids. 
But God, we can still show and lead by example. My prayer today, God, is that we would all take our place wherever it is in your plan to lead the next generation into the goodness of God and help them to have a relationship with you for themselves. God, we don't want our kids to hear a legend or a tale that they don't know to be true. We want them to have an experience with you, a personal encounter with you that changes them. So we choose to take our place in your generational plan. God, I pray that you would bring to fruit the seeds that people have planted in this room in their own kids' and grandkids' lives. I pray that you would bring prodigals home in Jesus' name, that you would restore them, Father. And it wouldn't be religion. It wouldn't just be a message. It would be a fresh encounter with you that changes them and draws them back into your purpose and plan for their lives. God, I pray we would be a generational church that sows these seeds, that waters these seeds, and lay our lives down so that the next generation can know you the same way that we do. Use the Bridge Church to do that, God, to build your generational church in and through our lives. In Jesus' name. And finally, with heads bowed this morning, maybe you're here today and more than anything I've said, you just feel like you're kind of responding to this message internally. Because you feel like maybe God's just talking to you right now. Maybe nobody ever told you that you can have a relationship with God. Maybe nobody ever told you that you can live above your circumstances. Maybe nobody ever told you that you can be forgiven or redeemed from all of those regrets and the things that went wrong. Scripture tells us that we've been separated from God because of our sin, but we could be reunited with God because of Jesus. The Son of God, the one and only sinless, spotless Lamb of God, sent to this earth to die on a cross for our sin, die a death that we deserve so that we could be forgiven if we would simply put our faith in his sacrifice. I want to tell you something today, my friend. God loves you so much that he sent Jesus, his very best, in exchange for your very worst. If we would believe that and receive it, declare with our mouths that we want him to be our Lord and our Savior, we can come into relationship with God. So I'm going to pray a prayer right now, and I'm going to encourage you just to use your own words. Just say, you can whisper it right out loud to God if you'd like, but if you want to come into relationship with God or rededicate your life to him, now's a great time to do it. Father, right now in this moment, we come to you. We give you our sin. We give you our imperfection, our mistakes, our regrets, and we ask that you would cleanse us. We believe that Jesus went to the cross for those sins, and today we put our faith in his sacrifice. We believe he is the Savior, our Savior, and we want him to be our Lord. We believe that you raised Jesus from the dead, conquering death and hell and the grave so that we would not have to face it when this life is over. That's our statement of faith today. Would you be our Lord? Would you be our Savior? Because we want the very best that you have for our lives. So we surrender all to you today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, listen, if you're in the house this morning and you made that decision, or maybe you're even watching online and you made that decision, we want to help you start your journey of faith. We're going to be done in just a few minutes, but we have materials that we would love to put in your hand to help you start your journey of faith. And it's a simple book called The Next Seven Days. And there's two different ways you can get it. We'll have prayer teams down here at the, in front of the platform after service. Just walk up to one of our prayer teams. Let them know today you made a decision to follow Jesus. You want to get the book, and they'll give it to you. We don't need anything from you, but we're here to help in any way that we possibly can. If you need to go quickly at the end of service, just stop by the next seven days desk. It's out there between the glass doors. Our team is happy to help you, give you those same resources to help you get started in your walk with God. Finally, if you're watching online, there are directions right there on your screen of how you can get the next seven days. We would love to connect with you and help you start your journey of faith. We're so glad that people made that decision today. Can we put our hands together and welcome people into God's family? God bless you guys. Pastor Ann.
Awesome. Can we give Pastor Zach a hand for that great message? So, so good. Uh, Well, at this time in our service, we are going to worship God with our giving. And you'll see on the screens the different ways that you can do that. If you'd like to give in person today, there are envelopes on the chair backs and giving stations located on the sidewalls just before you exit the auditorium and another one just outside our Bridge Kids area. But, you know, as we give today, we just want to say a huge thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness in giving. Thank you for your continual generosity. Your giving truly is helping make a difference in people's lives, not just here at home, but across the globe too. As we had the privilege of hearing this morning from Pastors Bernie and Nan McLaughlin, our missions partners in Scotland, when you give, you have a part in what is happening in Scotland. And so we just want to say thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness. You're helping make a difference around the globe and here at home. And as we uh, prepare to give and in connection with our giving, we also today want to let you know about another opportunity that we have to make a difference in people's lives here in the Temecula Valley because Thanksgiving is just around the corner. And we are getting ready for our annual Thanksgiving food drive because we distribute Thanksgiving groceries uh, through our community care program to anyone in the Temecula Valley who is in need, giving them all the supplies they would need to prepare a Thanksgiving dinner. And so there are a few ways that you can be involved with this. We have a table out in the foyer. Today, you can stop by after service. And first way you can get involved is by picking up one of the slips that says, I commit to donating a turkey. And I'll tell you, turkeys are one of our greatest needs for this food drive because, as you probably know, grocery stores limit the number of turkeys you can get. So we can't go in and buy a whole bunch of turkeys. But if we each brought a turkey, we would have more than enough turkeys. So you can help in that way. And you can also pick up a shopping list that has all the other items, canned goods, box goods, things like that, and bring those. And all of the food drive items can be brought the first two Sundays of November. You just leave your bags at your car bumper when you come to church on Sunday morning, and then we have a truck that will go through the parking lot and pick those up for you, all right? Now, the third way that you can be involved, maybe you think, I don't have time to go shopping, but I want to be a part. You can give financially towards that, and we can supplement what comes in with uh, the funds that come in for additional groceries. And so all you need to do is designate your giving outreach, and it will go to our community care program to help provide groceries for our Thanksgiving meal distribution. Okay, thank you so much for your faithfulness and your generosity in giving and making a difference in other people's lives. We appreciate you so much. Now today, as we conclude, remember, we'll have prayer teams down front if you need prayer for anything. And then we cannot wait to see you right back here next Sunday. Next Sunday is going to be an awesome day. We'll be sharing communion together and doing water baptisms. Have a great week. We will see you next Sunday. Thank you.